All right. We finished question one and two. We were talking about anointing, Jesus, Jesus anointing. Um, we said, by what power did Jesus do everything uh, he did when he was here and uh, discussed that. And then we talked about might, might one think that our lives are to be lived the same way and has some really, really good discussion around that. Really enjoyed that. And and I, I kind of I, I left off sort of for the question I wanted to um, repeat here at the beginning. I said, um, if we also are anointed, and I think we kind of came to that conclusion when we've been baptized into Christ, we've received this same anointing of the Spirit. Are we being led or impelled was the word I enjoyed last week. Are we being impelled by the Spirit? And I wanted to come back to that question because... Um, I think the answer to that question really comes down to humble dependence. Um, that's, that is the characteristic in the life of Christ that, um, by which he carried out everything that he did was in humble dependence on, on the Father. Um, I've been reading through the Gospel of John and it's just chock full of of uh, Jesus describing how he, he did nothing of his own will. Everything was in total dependence on the Father. And, and so if we ask ourselves that question, I left us hanging on that question a little bit last week. Are we being impelled by the Spirit? And I think we can hear that question as a, like, almost a, could be used as almost a guilt trip. Like, well, I don't know, I'm not that, I don't know, I'm really that Spirit-led. And we, and, and we can maybe use that as a as a way to, you know, get out the bootstraps and, you know, try harder to be led or something like that. But the whole, the whole idea is that it's, it's all about humble dependence. And, and the only thing I think that can, um, foster humility in us is the principle of grace. Grace is what develops humility. And so if we're going to grow in, in this area of being led by the spirit independence, we've got to, um, we've got to grow in our, in our knowledge of what, of what grace means. Um, so just a couple of thoughts there, but we'll, we'll, well, let's get into question three. Was Jesus capable of sinning? So talking about the fact that Jesus was anointed, he was led by the spirit. He walked into this dependence on the Father, but was he was he capable of sinning? This is one of those questions that gets um, gets thrown around on, in you know the seminary uh, uh, crowd, and um, you know was Jesus able not to sin or was he not able to sin? And they've got Latin phrases for that, and you know, and I I wrote down here is that man's wisdom will always get him wrapped around the axle of foolishness. You know, we sit. And debate these things round and round and round until we're totally mixed up and confused and and as as Rido says, uttering blasphemy. You know that that was uh, that's what he he says about here. But what are your thoughts on that question? Well, he's perfect humanity, undiminished deity. He didn't have a sin nature. He's the God-man. They're impossible. 
impossible. Why? Why would it be impossible? Because his only source of power was the Holy Spirit. Ah. Yeah. I mean, he he's the fact that he did, doesn't didn't have a sin nature is. I mean, that's. <laughs> well, Adam didn't have a sin nature either. No, but he didn't he, have the Holy Spirit though. Yeah. Yet God had a, a direct relationship in the garden, um, one one to one, but he did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit of power. Do you think that's right? Yeah, that's right. I think sure. So. Because I think that only, really mm-hmm. the only yes. way we can have this Holy Spirit indwelling is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, in Rideout's uh, writings on this, he said, could the, could the Holy Spirit commit sin or yield to temptation? And he says, God forgive those who would suggest, uh, who would make the suggestion. Um, it's pretty strong uh pretty strong um words on this on this subject here um would you say miles that uh if you had to define sin how would you define it that's a gr- that's great i I've, I've been that's our the youth sunday school lesson that's coming up right after this here in <laughs> in Wimborne alberta um we're talking about that um and question number two for our youth is, the sin nature always and only drives us to carry out sin. And then the question is, what is sin? Yeah. And um, sin is, uh, this, this I, I think I first got from uh, William Newell. Sin is fundamentally self-will. Sin is fundamentally self-will. Uh-huh. And so we're going to discuss that a bit with the youth. But that, that... Um, understanding in my mind has, has clarified so much in terms of understanding, um, an issue like this. Because when we say, you know, could Jesus sin? That's the whole, that's the whole point. You know, he, he lived, when we talked about his humble dependence, rather than, rather than living in self-will, if he had for a moment, um, exerted his own will, to live, he, he, he would have been in sin. That's, that's what this, that's what this is all about. So though, though he was, though he was 100% deity, um, and, and humanity, um, a perfect, perfect sinless humanity, you know, perfect deity, um, the, the whole, um, nature and character of, of Christ's life is that it was one of total dependence. Rather than, than self will. You know, um, and that was a, yeah, go ahead. Uh, in, in Sunday school, uh, teaching the kids what sin is, we focus on the, the definition of hamartia, which means to miss the mark. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'd, uh, remember JD, we'd line them up with darts and 
and the dart, the small little darts, and at the other end of the room was a target, and they couldn't even get halfway there. So the <laughs> idea is, what's the what's the mark? Well, the Lord Jesus is the mark. Yeah. So because it's interesting that in Romans one, it talks about that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So anything that's not of God is sin. Mm-hmm. So uh, it isn't something that you can put a, uh, well, I, I'm 80% of the way there or 90%. You either are or you're not. You're either godly or you're not. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know. I wrote down here for you. From uh, John eight twenty nine, Jesus said, I, "I always do the things that are pleasing to Him, right. to the Father." Right. I think a lot of times we want to. You talked about able to or not able to, and and kind of the that big discussion that so many people get hung up on. Um, I think we as natural men want to know that. We want to believe that that Christ could have sinned. He's he's just like us. You ever felt that way? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's this. I want I want to be able to relate to him in a way that is the same as where I'm coming from in my own. You know. My, yeah, you know that that song. What if what if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us? And there's this. <laughs> idea that we want God to be on that kind of level almost, you know, that he can't sympathize with us unless he's, you know, able to, you know, but yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Is that like, yeah, I think that we want to try to, we, we want the Lord Jesus to be at a similar level as us in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just the perfect version of us. <laughs> right. I know, I know, yeah. You're giggling, Mike, but what's behind the giggle? <laughs> well, that's, uh, I'm thinking about the, the people that produce that uh, program called The Chosen. That's exactly what they're trying to do. You know? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, when, when, uh, the study we're doing through Romans, it's interesting how the Jews, and how mankind thinks the same way. And they say to God, how can you judge me when you created me? Mm. And so I'm a sinner. Well, you haven't sinned. How can you judge me? You know, it's the, the hallmark of the sin nature is that it's always somebody else's fault. <laughs> and to the point where, where Adam blamed God for <laughs> sinning because he gave her a woman, he gave him a woman that Caused him to sin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know that verse that says Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. So then that brings up an interesting question. Um, so we're, I guess what we've said is that we don't look at the Lord Jesus as a perfect version of what we could have been or what we could be. That's right. Uh, so how is he tempted then? 
Well, I think I think if you look at the word the, the word tempted. It, it's really the word tested. Tested. He didn't have the possibility of succumbing to the to the temptation, so he was really tested. Is what what that word I think means. Yeah, and and I think when we think about testing, you know, and and we we have in there, you know, the idea of of you know proving out, um, and and we often think of the idea of of uh, you know um, assaying a, a metal or so forth, and it's got to be subjected to heat. It's got to be. Um, you know, burn, you know, we, we sometimes think of it as, you know, burning off the impurities. Well, in, in Jesus Christ, there was, there was, there were no impurities. It's not as, it's not purgatory. It's not burning off the, you know, the chaff or something, but it had to test the quality of the metal, so to speak. And, yeah. and he did, he faced temptation in this, in this, in that sense. Um, like, I don't think any of us have, have ever, you know, really, really faced, you know, he faced it to the to the highest degree. This, um, you know, um, well, this I pressure. Think, I think that's awful encouraging to us because when we realize that what what God intends to do is to raise us up out of the whole Adamic creation into mm-hmm. a creation that is uh, Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, if you've ever entertained the thought. Am I ever going to be able to not sin? And yeah, mm-hmm. the answer is yes. You know, mm-hmm. and it's yes because initially, because of our identification with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, the resurrected life that each one of us shares doesn't sin. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we'll come back around to that question in, at, at number six here. So let's let's look at question four and five, and then we can um, come back to that thought um, and how it applies to us um, as as those who are in Christ. Um, so number four, uh, why is the dove used as a symbol of the Spirit? Now we we talked last week about Jesus' baptism and his anointing, and in all four Gospels, it's very it, you know it. it describes this that the spirit descended as a dove and and uh came to rest on him and john um uh, i can't remember which gospel john the baptist says and remained on him the one you know who you see the spirit descend and remain um he he's the he's the, the one so um you know uh it, it is interesting this i i, I actually um it's a, it's a point I, I wrestled with one of, one of the guys who's taught me a lot. Um, I don't know. It was, um, he, he said that the, the Greek here means that he came as a dove, not in the form of, dove, of a dove, but he came down um, like a bird descending. But regardless, you know, so I was like, wow, did, did, did they see the form of a dove or did they see something else coming down as a dove? And, and frankly, I, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't. It, it just says that he came down as a dove. Um, I'm, I'm not a, enough of an, an expert in the, the languages to be able to get into that fine a, a detail. But, um, but regardless, for, in all four gospels, the the Holy Spirit recorded that he came down as a dove on on Christ. So, so why the dove? Why why that that symbol? Why are we to be thinking about a dove? when the Holy Spirit comes upon, upon Christ. I, I, you know what, like I said, like 
I didn't necessarily always, you know, make that big a deal about this in my own thinking. Rideout um, gets pretty excited about it, and, and what he points out, I think, is is, is really cool. It, it really is because um, the what the what the dove, you know, especially in the Jewish mind, um, would have would have reminded them it was was sacrifice. You know, um, the the dove was was used in sacrifice. Mary and Joseph, of course, brought two turtle doves to the temple. We all know that. Think of that. Um, but it was a sacrificial bird. Um, and, uh, and, and then Rideout also points out, um, it was, it was a bird of love. And he quotes the, uh, the Song of Solomon, where he refers to my love, my dove. Um, and then, um, and he, he refers to the fact that it was, uh, a bird of sorrow. Um, and, uh, Quotes the scripture we we mourned as doves. Um, I don't know if you guys have mourning. Do you have mourning doves down there? The yeah. doves that sit on the trees and sound like they're crying. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, what was what was really interesting is that um, I'll just I'll just read right out here. He says um, the spirit has ever presented Christ, not himself. He would show us who the one is marked out in this wondrous way. He, Christ, is the sacrifice whose love brought him down from heaven and whose sorrow over man's sin made him a mourner. In looking at the dove, we do not think so much of the spirit as we do of Christ. And, and then he quotes, he, he shall glorify me. The, the, the spirit never glorifies himself. He always directs our attention to the son. And he always glorifies the Son, and so even in his coming as a as a dove to the Son, he he pointed us, he turned our eyes towards Christ and and who He is and uh, His nature as as a sacrifice. So so pretty neat. And of course here, just you know, we're talking about um, the Spirit um, in the. The spirit as, as related to Jesus Christ in his incarnation and earthly life. And so that's why this is such an important topic because this, this, uh, the fact that the spirit came and remained on, on Jesus Christ. And, and so we were, that's why we're just paying attention to the way in which the spirit came on him. Now this one, question number five is, uh, for, for me, it was a, it was a stretch in my, in my ability to take uh, an Old Testament law code and apply it to Christ, Rido sees this clearly. And I read, I went back to Leviticus and read, I was like, how, how did he ever, how did he ever make this connection? <laughs> that's just my, that's just my immaturity. I, you know, but, uh, did, did everyone read that? Does everyone know what I'm talking about with, with, uh, Leviticus, uh, 14. let's see here. 14, 14 is what's in the notes. Is that? I did go back and read that text. It's the cleansing of the, cleansing of a leper. Which, interestingly, I think this was something Vern taught in the lesson I listened to. Had never happened. <laughs> Had never happened until Jesus, or no, no record of it anyway, until Jesus cleansed lepers. And he tells them, go and 
and purify, you know, you know, carry out this 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 uh, ritual, and um, and so um, they had to dust off the law code. <laughs> what exactly is a leper supposed to do when he uh, when he's cleansed? But um, but there's this whole ritual where there's there's um, two. Uh, two doves, and one is there's an earthen vessel, and there's it's over running water, um, and uh, and one is to be killed in an earthen vessel um, over running water, and and you know th- these these complex um, you know uh, law codes and, and and rituals that that the Lord gave to to Israel. They, they do have deep and, and rich meaning and they do point us to Christ as something that we've talked about in the past in this class that, you know, all of scripture is to, is to point us to him. And, and that I think is what, what, uh, Rida was able to do here in a way that I have very little ability to do. But, um, Did anyone have any thoughts on that on that question? That in thinking on it, I can read what Rido said here about it, but I want to see if anyone else has any. Uh, about halfway through, what Rido says, he says, "The bird of heaven speaks of Christ, mm-hmm. who came down from heaven." The earthen vessel speaks of a prepared body. Mm-hmm. Okay. His incarnation. The running or living water reminds us, as we have frequently seen, of the word of God as used by the Holy Spirit. The washing of water with the word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How important it was that you will remember that we spoke of our Lord's determination to fulfill the least scriptural prediction concerning his death and how thus he spoke of his thirst. So right right after that, I'm not sure. The passage we're looking at embodies this thought. In his death, the Holy Spirit was united with himself in carrying out every particular that had been foretold. So the Holy Spirit is involved with the Lord Jesus in carrying out every prophecy regarding him, regarding the Messiah. Thus Mm -hmm. it was with him up to that awful moment when forsaken of God. Yeah. Yeah. So is the death of the dove... A type of 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 uh, the spirit being with Christ up to the point that he died. Yeah, I, I think I think what uh, what Ryan is wanting to make really clear there there in that sentence. Thus, the spirit was with him up to that awful moment when yeah. forsaken of God. It was uh, it was all the way through his his earthly ministry um and uh yeah and that 
at that point, at that moment, the, the father turned his back on the son. Um, Doesn't it seem that you, with the, this kind of discussion that all three persons of the Godhead must be in unison of life in order for them to carry out their purposes? Mm-hmm. You know, now... When the Lord Jesus, the Father turns away from the Lord Jesus, the Spirit is not involved in that, uh, in that sense. Or maybe he is, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but he, he does that by himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, I, I think what, what this question and these, these thoughts along these lines have really just Revealed to me afresh is the the magnitude, the the depth of what uh, of what was going on on the cross, and 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 just made me aware of the fact that it is um, it is an infinitely deep um, thing that yeah. was going on on the cross um, beyond beyond what we can 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 fully comprehend, beyond what we can fully grasp. And I, and I really think we will spend eternity um, focused on that, uh, on, on that what what Christ what Christ did in that in that event on the cross and His death and His resurrection. It you seems know? like it seems like the from God's perspective, the only way to deal with sin was to make the Lord Jesus sin and then have Him die. Mm-hmm. That was the only way he could solve that issue. Because sin is a lot more than just running around doing bad things. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we could, we could camp there for a while, but let's look at, at number six. Um, cause this really does wrap this whole lesson together really nicely. And, um, and the question is, how much power did it take to raise Jesus from the dead? And, and this, so this brings us now through, we've talked through his, from his anointing all the way up now, we've kind of really, you know, fast tracked through his life. We've talked about his anointing at the beginning of his ministry. Now we've talked about the cross. And now we're talking about the resurrection and how much power did it take to raise Jesus from the dead? And go, sorry, come again. I didn't quite catch that. Is the microphone on there? More power than we can even fathom. Yeah, amen. Yeah, more more power than we can even fathom. Uh, Alyssa and I were talking about this on the way to church here, and you know, the I, I've often. Again, going back to this thought that we will we will wrestle with the magnitude of the cross forever. I've often wondered how is it possible that that one person in a finite period of time pays an, an eternal penalty? You know, uh, the, the 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 penalty of of sin is is eternal separation from God, and and yet by nature of who he was as an infinite person. A person that that has eternality as a as a characteristic, he was able to uh, 
to take this this entire penalty. But then if we ask the question, how much power is required to raise to life someone from this position of of eternal death, it could only be infinite power. Only infinite power could possibly raise someone from that kind of death. And uh, and that's just enough to <laughs> to make your head spin, really, you know. But it, it was the we, we we talk about you know the the the, um, the the combined power of the the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you know, all the power of the Godhead, um, and we see His power in creation. Romans one tells us that we see the power of God through the things which He's created. But that's just that's just a finite creation. That's just a you know it's limited. It's it's amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not you know not trying to diminish it. It is amazing what God has created. But it's finite. What God did in the in the cross was an act of infinite power, an act of infinite power. And and in a sense, it's nothing else that could have displayed His power like the like like raising His Son from the dead. And, um, and that, yeah, that's well, a lot to chew on. It almost seems like when, when the Lord, uh, entered into, I don't know if you can say a place of sin or this, uh, wherever it was, whatever it was, there was no escape out of there outside of the infinite power of the Godhead. You couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in order, in order for him to redeem his creation, uh, that's what it took. He, he couldn't do it, couldn't have done it any other way. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only way. Yeah. I, I want to read some of what Rido said here because what's really, uh, what's really going to impact us here, I think, is, is this thought that he, that he turns to here. Um, <clears throat> so he, he makes the point, I'm going to kind of try to quickly summarize it here a little bit, but he makes the point that, um, that, that Jesus Christ was quickened, uh, in his resurrection by the spirit. And of course, because we're talking about this, the Holy spirit here, um, we realize that, and where he says, it, so also it was through the Holy ghost that he gives uh, special instructions and commands to his disciples after his resurrection and he says, this is most interesting and remarkable. The Spirit was with the risen Lord as well as before his death, which seems to suggest that unhindered and unreserved divine fellowship which shall exist for all eternity. And now this is where it, it becomes really uh, um, comes home for us. Um, he says, not this, this fellowship which shall exist for all eternity, not only between the persons of the Godhead, but blessed be his name with all the redeemed as well. Thus we can trace the link of the Spirit with our Lord all through his earthly life, his conception, baptism, anointing, sacrificial death, and his resurrection. What perfect and holy intimacy and what privileges it suggests for those who have in infinite grace been born again, baptized, indwelt, and anointed by the same Spirit. By the same Spirit. And it goes back to what I was kind of saying at the beginning uh, about grace. 
Um, we we need to come to a a deeper recognition of of the magnitude of that grace, and we see it here in that we when we we get to this point of recognizing uh, that the infinite resurrection power, um, which which uh, which raised Christ from the dead, um, and then recognize that we have been made participants in that very thing. We've been made to participate in that death, in that resurrection, and in that uh, in that same uh, spirit led life of Christ. Mm-hmm. So you can't uh, start whining to God when you don't walk the walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's why dependence is a is the key to the walk because that was the key to the Lord Jesus walking that way. Yeah, I think that that dependence thing is something that uh, God has always intended for creatures to be. And in this case, as for believers, it's a double down. You know, it's it's uh, the life now is so above whatever like whatever we ask or think, but as dependent on the on the the Lord Jesus and the work of the Spirit in us, that life can be manifested through us. The key is trusting Him, or. Um, <clears throat> Um, yeah, trust the key. Is the right word or I or believe in it. Just, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, and isn't that always the key? Yeah, right. Yeah, Just it is. believe the fact that that we have been made participants in this same resurrected life. Yeah, this this resurrected life that could only be brought about by the infinite power of God. Yeah, you know, is the is the life and the power that is at work in in you and I. So, just marvelous thoughts there. Let's uh, close in prayer a few minutes after. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so infinitely gracious towards us that you have seen fit to make us participants in, in this most most powerful uh, work of yours in all history, in all of eternity, the fact that you would uh, would raise your son uh, out of this out of this position of eternal death, and Lord, we thank you that we've been made to participate in that and to enjoy enjoy fellowship in that life, and we pray that we would learn to walk. Uh, more and more independence on uh, on that uh, reality. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Amen.